0: podcast episode 112 word ministry part three jf18 this is our last week talking about word ministry preaching teaching feeding people the word of god it is one of our most important responsibilities that's what we have been discussing the last several weeks we have been talking about our responsibility to feed the word to the people that we lead and we have been defining what preaching and teaching truly is We said that preaching and teaching is a declaration of the Word of God for the glory of God. Preaching and teaching is the connection point between the power of the gospel and hearers of the Word. It's the pipeline. It's the conduit. It's the avenue in which God chose for the gospel to come alive in people's hearts. We talked about how God chose the foolishness of preaching. I mean let's be honest, preaching is a foolish way from the standard of the world in which to transfer information. And yet God chose that because he is the one that wants to make it effective. Our preaching is not effective until God makes it effective. We said that the content of preaching should be the word. We are we're not to preach our ideas, we're not to preach our opinions, we're not to give a motivational speech, we're not to have a self-help talk. Rather, preaching and teaching is giving people spiritual truths with practical application. And so my hope is that you thoroughly understand the responsibility, you understand the why, and have some clarity on the goal of preaching and teaching. Now today we're going to get very practical, and we're going to discuss how to build a sermon or a teaching. And I need to warn you on the front end that this podcast is going to be considerably longer than what we normally do. And frankly, this is going to be more instructional than inspiration. And so uh, the reason why I'm going down this road is because a lot of you are getting put in situations in which you are being required to preach and or teach more than you have in the past. And I want to resource you with a simple model, a simple pattern that I use that might be beneficial to you. It, it takes out some of the mystery of what it means to build a sermon or build a Bible study. Now, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that he needed to instill the word into others and that Timothy was responsible for studying to show himself approved. And here's what I want you to think about. When you have a responsibility to preach or teach and you take the platform or you take the podium, you take the pulpit, you take the mic, you take the cafe table with other people around you, whatever the, whatever the environment is, when you start to preach or teach, you need to be so well prepared, you need to be so organized that people can put confidence in the words that you're saying because they can tell that you have studied to show yourself approved. So here's what we're going to do today. On a rudimentary level, we're actually going to build a sermon together. Now, it should be noted that there are probably countless ways in which to approach sermon and teaching building. This is just how I do it. This is not the only way by far. This is probably not even the right way. This is just my way. And I go through a pattern. I go through a process that includes seven steps. These are the seven steps I take in building a sermon or building a Bible study Before I give it to someone and I think these seven steps can take out some of the mystery and can give you a a path a guide in which to build a sermon. So let's talk about them. Step number one, I need to determine what God would desire for me to preach or teach. So if I'm going to if I'm if I'm tasked if I'm responsible for preaching or teaching, then we have to start by determining what in the world God would have us to even talk about. Now, this is, the, this is the part where most young preachers, most young teachers get freaked out because there's a lot of weight. There's a lot of pressure. You know, what am I going to preach on? What am I going to talk about? And, and so this, this, they can get paralyzed at this point. And, and really, we need to simplify and we need to just get down to what it is. This step requires me to simply examine my audience and pray and say, Lord, what would you have me to speak to these people? For me, for most of my ministry, this question has actually been, God, what series of sermons or teachings would you have me to give to these people? God, what series of messages would you have me to teach? What what topics, what passages would you want me to preach through? You know, maybe I have a block of four weeks and I need to, to teach. For me, I've almost always studied in series, and perhaps you are going to have an opportunity. We have Four week Bible study, or or, or maybe uh, uh, four weeks of of teaching in youth, or whatever the case may be, and and you need to approach that from a series. You don't have to. It might be something that you want to. It allows you to be a little bit more detailed, or maybe you are given a standalone message. You know, you're asked to fill in on youth. You're asked to fill in on Sundays. You're you're asked to teach on Wednesday night. Whatever the case may be, you you have one opportunity to preach or a sermon or to give a Bible study. Either way, whatever the context may be, you need to start praying and saying, God, what would you have me to speak to these people? Is it, is it, is it four different messages? Is it a series? If it's standalone, What do you want me to preach to these people? Now, this answer to this question usually comes in one of two forms. God's either going to lead you to a topic. He's going to lay a topic on your heart, or he's going to lay a passage on your heart that he wants you to share with the people. Let's talk about topical sermons for a moment a topic could be something like marriage and the family. So let's say I have four weeks and I start praying, God, what would you have me to speak to these people? And I just, I can't get away from this feeling that we need to address uh, marriage and the family. Now within this series, then I can start to discuss every week, a different aspect of marriage of the family. I can talk about, you know, sacrificial love, proper communication, intimacy, et cetera. And so I'm building this series. I want the messages to lead from one to the other. I want them to flow from one week to the next, but I also need them to be standalone so that if I miss a week, it, ca- it works together. You know, topics or topical series could be anything. You know, the armor of God it could be a character study of an individual in the Bible, like say David, for example, it could be parables of Jesus. You get the point. I'm being led to a macro message like parables or family and then I'm going to dive into micro messages week to week. The same principle could be for standalone. You know, you, you have one week and you start praying and maybe God leads you to uh, uh, preach something from the life of David. Perhaps he, he leads you to uh, the idea of maybe self-control. I mean, endless opportunities. Now, a word of warning if you're preaching a standalone message. If you have a standalone message and you feel led to preach on something like marriage or self control, literally, there are hundreds of things that could be said, and you're not gonna have time to say them all. So, you're gonna have to narrow down for the sake of the audience into one central theme for that message. Now, that's topical messages. Maybe I'm praying and saying, God, what would you have me to say to these people? I'm led to either a book of the Bible or I'm led to a passage of scripture. You know, I'm led to the book of Philippians or I'm, I'm led to John chapter 3, whatever the case may be. I do a lot of this in my preaching and my teaching where I, I preach through a book of the Bible chapter by chapter. And in this series, I'm going to go from chapter 1 through the end of the book, and every word is going to be read to the congregation by the time this series is done. And this is a form, uh, a very rudimentary form of expositional preaching. Uh, and, I, and I think this is really the best form of preaching, in my opinion. The reason why I believe it's the best form of preaching is because it removes the preacher's flesh. I'm not dictating the direction of the sermons. God's Word is dictating the direction of the sermons because I'm simply reading it every single week and giving people. I'm not giving my opinions. I'm not giving my pet peeves. I'm not giving my pet topics. I'm simply sharing and instructing God's Word, which is supposed to be my goal. Now, this is not my exhaustive form of teaching. However, it probably has been my primary goal. Uh, source and form of teaching for most of my ministry. Now, either way, if I'm led to a topic, I'm led to a book, or I'm led to a passage, I need to land on a passage of scripture for this sermon. That's going to be my my primary anchor point. Um, it, this is very important to catch, particularly with topical sermons. I'm praying, I'm saying, Lord, what would you have me preach on? And let's, let's again, let's say it, it is a topic. And let's say I feel... Um, led to talk about marriage. It's very tempting for me to write my message and then proof text everything I want to say. So in other words, I I start thinking about what I want to say, and then I I go find Bible verses to confirm everything that I want to say. And I don't think that's always necessarily the best way to do it. I'm not saying that it's always wrong to proof text. However, again, I want to give God's word, and it's very easy for me to start taking verses out of context when I am... Proof texting. This can be dangerous and I don't want to do that. However, if I feel led to talk about marriage and I turn to say 1 Corinthians chapter 7 or Ephesians 5, and I just camp in those passages, now that's a better way to approach a topical message because I'm just giving the word of God. Now, while we're on it, uh, it's important to note that in my opinion, what happens a lot of times in standalone topical messages is that we try to give almost too much Bible. And here's what I mean by that. You know, we might want to talk about perseverance. So we want to read a large portion of Joshua's life. We want to read a large per- portion of David's life, and we want to read a large portion of Paul's life. It's just too much. We, In our prayer and saying, God, what do you want me to preach on? I really need to narrow down, get honed in, and focus on a passage of Scripture And this is my opinion. So step one is to determine what God would desire for me to preach or teach. Now, for the sake of the rest of this talk, this podcast, we're going to pretend that God has led us to Genesis chapter one, verses one through three. And we are going to use that passage of scripture as the rudimentary building block for a sermon. And we're going to use that as, as how we're going to build the sermon. So step one, determine what God had me to preach. We're going to say is Genesis chapter one, verses one through three. Let's move to step two. Step two means I'm going to read the passage thoroughly. Okay, so I've been, I've been led to the passage. Now I'm going to start reading the passage thoroughly. Even if it's a topical message, I'm still looking for the passage, and then I'm going to read the passage thoroughly. So let's read it together. Genesis one, verses one through three. You should know it well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So I want to read that thoroughly. I want to read it slowly. I want to absorb what the text is saying. I will want to read it several times. I I want to maybe read it in different translations to get nuanced perspectives and and as i'm reading this i'm praying god show me what you want to say give me clarity of this passage and as i'm reading it i'm starting to make random notes and observations i'm i'm contemplating the passage to see what jumps out and as things jump out i start writing them down so in the beginning uh you know that's that's an interesting thought in the beginning god created so i'm going to write that down so before anything else god's first act was he was creating something that's that's interesting to me speaking of his creating he he created everything out of nothing there was nothing other than god like we humans can't do that we're not able to we have to take raw materials and get some inspiration to create something only god can create nothing uh, something out of nothing so I, i might write that down maybe i start to write down that it's interesting that god created in a process a God that can speak and things happen, he could have created everything we see in an instant with a single word, yet God chose to create in a process. That's an interesting observation from these three verses that I might want to write down. The, the Spirit of God was in the midst of the creation. It was the creation agent. I think that's also interesting. I might want to write that down. We also see in these three verses that God's speaking and God's acting go hand in hand. I, I want to write those, those things down. So I will, I will even in this slow contemplative reading of the passage, I might even focus on specific words and I might think of implication of those words. For example, we we see some very interesting things. We see beginning, without form, void, darkness. Those are all interesting contrasts to some other words like God, Spirit of God, God said, and light. So I'm reading these slowly and I'm thinking about the phrases that are in here and I'm just making random notes just like I'm doing right now in this podcast. I, I'm just writing down random things as they come to me. And after I do this for a moment, I'm going to start asking the question. Well, what's the main idea of this passage? You know, what God, what did God intend for me to know from this passage? What do I learn about him? What do I learn about about my salvation? What do I learn about humanity? What do I learn about how God tends to work with me and save me and rescue me? Those are questions that I start to ask. And the reason why I'm asking all these questions, the reason why I'm being contemplative, with the passage is because I want the passage to speak for itself. I don't want to read into the passage. God wanted to say these words. They're here for a reason. So I want those words to speak to me. Now, it could be said from these three verses for the sake of this podcast, let's, let's just kind of narrow down on a, a potential main idea. A potential main idea is that God is the origin and the sustainer of everything. Where there is no God, there is no order. There's void, there's darkness, there's chaos. But God created order and he sustains all creation through his order. Like that, that could be a that could be a main idea. God is the one that put all this together and his word sustains everything. We know that to be true from other passages. So I'm just making all these notes. I'm not worrying about how I'm going to preach it. I'm not going to worry about the ear candy. I'm not worrying about flow. I'm just making random notes as I'm thoroughly reading the passage. Now, most of the time I'll actually push pause and I'll walk away for a moment after I've done this for a while because sometimes I need to just clear my head uh, and come back. And what's amazing is almost every time I do that and I come back to the passage, I see things I didn't see a second ago. And here's the thing we need to understand. The Bible is inexhaustible. And what that means is, is that as you read over it over and over and over again, new things are going to jump out to you. Um, and, and that's important to remember. So step two is thoroughly read the passage. I'm going to do this for a while. I'm going to make some random notes. This is just my stuff. Uh, I'm not worrying about order or anything else. Once I've done that for a while and I feel like I've kind of exhausted what I'm seeing in the moment, then I'm going to move on to step number three. And step number three is where I'm going to start to refer to my commentaries and my references commentaries and references are invaluable to the life of the preacher or teacher because good commentaries and references are written by individuals who have spent their entire life studying different books of the bible studying the history studying the language studying the meaning and the insights and their insights are invaluable i I truly believe that god works through commentators and bible teachers these these reference materials come in a variety of forms, and you can find them all over the place: uh, book form, online. Um, you know, there's topical books that deal with different issues. Uh, I lean very heavily into traditional commentaries. Uh, if you've never looked at a commentary, a commentary uh, follows the book of the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Um, and, and I lean on those. Um, I always try to reference at least three commentaries for the passage. One that's very devotional in nature. So it's, it's, it's a little bit thinner, more for the, 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 the lay person. Then I try to uh, refer to one that's semi-academic. And then I try to refer to one that's a little bit more scholarly and academic. And this gives me a wide perspective on the passage from other people. I may even refer to a lexicon to examine some of the original uh, meanings of the words in Hebrew or Greek. However, I do think there is some danger there because as in most languages, words can have different meaning and we determine the meaning by the context of the passage. And so you can start looking up the meaning of words, but you're giving the people the wrong meaning because you're actually Putting the word in the wrong context, you know, like there's a difference between when I say I love my wife and I love a good hamburger. You, you understand the context gives the word "love" different meaning, and so we want to be careful with that. And what good commentaries will do is good commentaries will do this work for you. They'll they'll help you. They'll help explain the context in which the original word was in, so that you understand the true meaning of that word. And what you're going to really find out when you start doing that is that almost all Bible translators, there's a team of people and they are really good and they really want to do it the right way. And so most of the time, the word uh, in the original language probably should be the word that they've used in English. Um, That's, I would say, an overwhelming majority of the time. That's, that'd be accurate. So what am I trying to do when I refer to these references? I'm trying to accomplish a few things. Okay. So I'm looking at my personal notes that I just took in step two, and now I'm testing my assumptions of the passage next to the commentaries. So let's pretend I saw something within this passage that jumped out to me and I wrote it down in my random notes in step two. However, as I'm going through my commentaries and my references, I am informed that this is the wrong perspective of the passage where everybody else sees it different. Then I need to, I need to dig in and make sure that my assumption isn't wrong, that that my brilliant idea of this passage is maybe a misinterpretation of the passage. And this does happen sometimes. And, and you need to be humble. If, if it's not there, then don't force a meaning on a text that's not there. But honestly, what happens more often is that I see something in the passage that jumps out to me, and then I start reading a couple of my commentaries, and they confirm my assumptions. Like, they're saying the same things. And so I know I'm on the right path. I'm seeing the passage the right way, and this gives me confidence then to preach that passage and that principle as I see it. We have to remember that this book has been around for 2,000 years, Uh, and that's the earliest form. I mean, some of this in the Old Testament goes back way longer than that, obviously, so there's not one thing that we're going to preach that some other God-fearing pastor has not already preached. And so we just want to make sure we're seeing it the right way. So I'm testing my assumptions uh, next to these commentaries, but I'm also looking for nuggets of truth. When I read through these reference, inevitably, a commentator is going to point out a truth or a nugget that I didn't see that's going to enrich the message even more. And you might want to add that to your teaching or your sermon. And if you're directly quoting them, then just sort the sources, cite, sort, if you're directly quoting, cite the source. There's nothing wrong with that. So where do I find these references at? Personally, I'm very heavily invested in uh, some of the most respected commentaries in the evangelical community, and I'm going to continue to invest in those. They're expensive. Um, they take up a ton of space, but I just like having the book form, uh, and I've done that. Uh, these are men and women who love the Lord, love the word, love truth, and want to commentate on the passage in an accurate manner. And, and so I respect their work and I want to invest in that. Uh, there's some good stuff online. Just be careful. You know, if you are using stuff online, just look for a consensus, make sure that there's some, uh, there's some credibility in the people that you're referring to. Um, you know, anybody in my church leadership is welcome to come to the church at any time and refer to anything I have. So where are we at in this process? I, I've prayed God, what's the topic or the passage? I have then turned to that passage, and I've started to take my personal notes. I, I think I have a big idea. I have now uh, referred to additional sources uh, through commentaries and references to, to confirm and deny my assumptions, uh, to add some nuggets uh, to that. And now I'm starting to collect a ton of material. For me personally, at this point in my sermon uh, writing process, I probably have around 1,200 words on a document. And my sermon is going to typically be between three and 4,000 words. Now, a lot of people, when they start talking about developing sermons, they're, they're concerned that they're not going to have enough material to preach or to teach. This really should not be a fear because if you start studying out a passage of Scripture, you're going to have too much information most of the time. You're going to actually have to cut things in order to make this sermon work. So once you kind of have this, this random group of, of, of notes, you know, you, you'll have somewhere between 1,000, 1,200 words with the text, um, you, you need to start to organize those notes into a comprehensive linear message, which means we need to move to step number four and make an outline. That is the fourth step in this process. I need to take my notes and make an outline. Now, when I say outline, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take my, my raw notes and I'm trying to determine what needs to be in the message and what needs to be cut? And then I'm asking the question, what is the best way to package these notes and deliver them to the people? And when I say package the notes, what I'm saying is, is what model of message do I need to use to, to clearly articulate this, this, this message? So I allow my notes to dictate the model of the message I want to preach. Now, there's a lot of different preaching models and teaching models. Maybe you're familiar with them. Maybe you're not. You can do a cursory uh, look on on Google, and you'll find lots of different people that have lots of different opinions on how you should preach to people, Um, and let me just give you a couple. Some people follow an essay type of model. Remember, in, in school, when you had to write an essay, you had an introduction, a thesis statement, supporting material, and a conclusion this is a great and simple model using sermon prep. And, and chances are, this is probably 75% of the sermons you've ever heard preached follow that same basic model. There's an introduction, the passage, they give you the big idea of that passage, and then they give you one, two, and three points uh, to support that big idea, and they bring a conclusion. The reason why this is a great model is because it's very. Um, conclusive. It's very concise. It's it's very conducive for the audience to gain the information. I mean, this is a great way in which to present information. I mean, this is how probably 80% of books are written. I mean, this is there's a reason why people use this. You'll notice a lot of documentaries follow this same kind of pattern in a visual sense. I mean, this is a great way in which to give a sermon. Introduction, passage, big idea, point one, two, and three that that prove and support the big idea in a conclusion. Okay. I use it all the time myself. Uh, you know, again, probably seventy-five percent of sermons you've ever heard. This was kind of the model they they used. You know, that's wonderful. Now, another model that I personally use quite a bit is a question and answer type model. You know, so I I'll I'll have an introduction, I'll read the passage, and then I'll kind of subliminally answer the question: What is this passage saying? And then I'll answer another question: What should this pa- Why should this passage matter to me? Like, why should I care? What this passage is saying. Then I'm going to answer subliminally another question: What is this passage calling me to do? Why should I desire to do it? And how can I align my heart to this passage for personal application? That's that's a that's a model sermon that I use a lot. What's this passage saying? And it's all subliminal, of course. But what's this passage saying? Why should I? Why should I care what this passage is saying? What is it calling me to do? Why should I desire to do it? And how can I align my heart for, with this passage for personal application? Another model that I use occasionally is, is kind of just an imaginary model in my own mind. It works very good for narrative passages in the Old Testament. It is what I call the tour bus model. Uh, imagine you're on a tour bus and the driver is pointing out the sights to you while you're heading to your final de- uh, destination. That's something I'll do a lot of times in Old Testament narrative passages. Um, I kind of I walk people through that passage and point out the sights while we ultimately land at the at the final destination there's a lot of other models out there Andy Stanley has one that people really like uh it's real common Mark Driscoll has one that's pretty good you you can look those up truthfully you could probably find 100 different preachers and you're going to find 100 different models regardless of the model that you use here's what I'm going to try to tell you you always need to accomplish clarity information and application like you you need to make sure no matter what model you're using when you're developing this outline, you need to make sure that you are you are organizing these notes in a clear way. You need to make sure that you're organizing these notes in a way that's going to bring information, and you need to organize these notes in a way that it's actually going to bring application to the individual. So, I, you know, you got to get the main point of the passage. You, you have to say why we're going to resist this main point. You have to show how this main point fulfills a cultural ideal that people already have. They just didn't realize God's the one that leads them to it, and you have to have some action steps Here's the bottom line. Any model can work, but you've got to pick the model and make it work. And here's what I mean by that. You cannot be scatterbrained in your communication. That's why we want to make an outline. We want to make sure that we have a cohesive, linear path that we are leading people down in this message. So we need to figure out what model is going to help us do that, and then we have to actually work that model. Now, in making an outline, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get this information in a workable order and decide what needs to be kept and what needs to be left. So I'm going to allow the notes to dictate that. Now, for the sake of this podcast, let's go back to our Genesis chapter one verses one through three notes, and let's use an outline and let's use the big idea and point and model the essay model that we just talked about. So, what could be the big idea of this passage? Well, the big idea could be that God's word sustains all things. We know that that's a that's a very clearly given principle throughout the entirety of Scripture not just Genesis chapter one. And that's important. When we're given principles, we want to make sure that the Bible is actually given this uh, principle to us in multiple different areas because the Bible confirms the Bible. Okay. So the big idea is God's word sustains all things. Point one could be something like before God spoke, there was nothing. And some of you are in a barren and chaotic season and you're trying to order your life, but you're failing because where there is no God, there's nothing but void chaos and disorder. Point two, God desires to bring order to the chaos. Now, some of you resist the idea that God would want to be in your mess. And so you ask, why, why did God allow this to happen to me? You know, when I went through tragedy, where was God then? So why would God want to get my mess now? However, what we see in the, in this passage is that where there was chaos, the spirit of God started hovering over the waters. And we're in the middle of chaos, and we know Jesus came to live in the middle of our chaos. And so we have to allow God in. The reason why we're in chaos anyway is because we have rebelled against him. And when we allow God to come into our life, when we allow Christ to come to life, and we surrender him as our Lord and Savior, he starts to hover with us. He starts to walk among us. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. He was in our mess. Point three, God's word brings God's action. God said, let there be light. Christ is the light of the world. And when the light comes, people's lives are changed. When he came out of that tomb, there's hope for tomorrow. So that, that could be a simple, big idea, three points, and then I give a conclusion. That, that could be my outline. And what's great about this is that I know I'm giving people God's word. I have a model that is clearly giving the message. Okay? So now that I have this outline, you know, let's, let's see where we're at here. Right? We have, we have determined what God wanted us to preach. We have made our personal notes. We have checked our references. We have now worked all these notes into a workable outline. Step number five, I want to add some fun stuff to the outline. I need to have some ear candy in here, like some illustrations, some analogies, some stories. Why do I wait so long to add the fun stuff in my, in my process? It's because I want to be careful that the fun stuff does not direct the message. I, I don't want to do that. I mean, because what can happen a lot of times is we have a great story, we have a great analogy or a great illustration, you know, it's funny. And so it, it's tempting to to work our message around those things because we don't want to cut the illustration or the analogy, and that's not good. We, 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 we want to make sure that we have creative elements in the message, but we want the message to dictate those creative elements. So for example, in our working outline of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, you'll notice that in what I just gave you a moment ago, I didn't really have an intro. So I might want to find something fun to put at the beginning of this sermon so that I can, I can catch the audience's attention. Um, I did a cursory search just even getting ready uh, for this podcast, and I, I found something pretty interesting. Uh, the most expensive painting ever sold was Salvatore uh, Mundi, is how you say it, by Leonardo da Vinci. It was sold in 2017 for $400 million. That's an incredible price, especially considering at one time that painting was nothing more than a blank canvas and some paint. That's that's insane to me. Da Vinci, through his creative you know, a process, took that raw material of paint and he made this masterpiece. However you think about it, you know, Da Vinci really didn't create anything because he still had to get the paint from the world around him. He had to make the, the canvas from the world around him and he had inspiration from other things. So while all of us desire to create things that are amazing, we all have to have inspiration, raw material, and space to create. In the beginning, God had none of that. He had no matter. He had no raw materials. He had no space and time. There was nothing except God, and only a God can create something out of the fiat of his own power and create something out of nothing. And those somethings are then only sustained by God. Maybe maybe that is something that I would want to work into a to kind of a, a catching point, a hook at the beginning of a sermon. Because you could play off of something like that. I mean, $400 million for the painting. And Here's something funny. In the research, after that painting was sold for $400 million, they actually think that it might have been a fake. So could you imagine paying $400 million for a fake piece of art? Anyways, there's lots of different ways that you could work some ear candy into that introduction to lead you to the place and lead the audience to the place where they start thinking about how God can create something out of nothing. You know, And then maybe in the conclusion, my quote fun stuff is a reflection of a a personal story at the end, whatever the case may be. But I'm going to look for some analogies, some illustrations to kind of to kind of hook the audience back into the main point that I want to give them. Now, at this point, I've completed five steps of my sermon prep, and I probably have 80% of the work done for this sermon, and I'm going to have a ton of fairly organized notes at this point onto a sermon. And at this point, I'm going to move on to step number six, which I personally do. This This is me. This is something I do. I manuscript the outline. And when I say manuscript outline, I actually sit down and I write out word for word everything I want to say or I would want to say in the moment in which I was preaching it. Manuscripting is kind of a controversial subject in the preaching community. Uh, in my unscientific poll, I'd probably say half of the pastors manuscript their sermons just from conversations I've had. I manuscript my sermons for a lot of reasons. Uh, I do it because I want to organize my thoughts and manuscripting gives me some clarity on what it is I truly feel led to say. Manuscripting my sermons allows me to remember what I want to say. When I write something down, I'm more likely to remember it later. Manuscripting sermons helps me ensure that I don't preach too long. I'm going to talk faster. I, I, I talk really fast. And so I want to, I can hang around the 3,500 word count, and I know that I'm going to be okay. And I'm trying to slow down. So what I'm actually doing is I'm writing a little bit shorter sermons, forcing me to slow down a little bit. Here's the catch, though. I don't read my manuscript when I'm preaching. The manuscript is simply for the preparation to help me as the preacher to get organized so that I can deliver the message as clearly as possible. When I manuscript, there's there's just something that happens in me that helps me get organized. So that's for me. Maybe you don't need to. I had an intern that if he manuscript, he just went off the rails. He could not preach if he manuscript. He needed to walk up there with an outline, and that was all he needed. Now, when I'm manuscripting, what am I trying to do? What am I trying to do? Well, when I'm manuscripting, I'm really trying to bring clarity to my transitions. Because when you think about all the work that we've just done, I I, I probably have like my big ideas, I got, you know, my points, like I got the meat there, the meat's there. And so that's, that's not quite as important at this point because I've already done the legwork on the important things. So what I really am focusing on the, in the manuscripting is transitioning from point to point, transitioning from meat to meat. I'm trying to make sure that I'm leading the audience in a way that they can understand what it is I'm saying. So here's how I envision myself preaching. I'm leading a blind man through the forest with nothing but my voice. So if I'm leading a blind man through the forest with nothing but my voice and I can see, I know that I can move faster than he can. So I have to constantly be communicating to him, telling him where I'm at, where I need him to go. I need to be pointing out little landmines. I need to tell him when there's a log in the path. If we need to make a turn, I need to give him a heads up. Like, hey, buddy, we're about to turn right. Get ready to turn right. We're turning right. Come with me now. So I'm trying to lead people. I'm trying to lead him with my voice. And that's the same thing we need to do with our sermons. We are ultimately leading blind people through a forest when we're preaching to them. They don't know what we're talking about. They don't know where we're going. They don't really know why it's important. They can't see the message the way you can. So you need to make sure that you are leading them well with your voice and telling them, through verbal instruction, where they're at and where you're going next and how they can follow you. And this is where most novice preachers really struggle. They are communicating information while forgetting that they're actually leading people to the truth. And so you have to consider this in your transitions. I mean, think about even this podcast. Go back and just listen to the last little things. Every time I get ready to go to my next step, I recap where we're at in the process so that you can stay focused on the order because I'm giving you a lot of information in this podcast and so I know it's important for me to continually recap and tell you where we're at. And that's probably the most important thing for me about the manuscript. It's just getting those things in order so that I can try to preach with some clarity. Now, once we've done this, our sermon is done. We we have it on paper and we could probably walk up and preach it in this moment. and and do pretty well now for me i actually uh prepare 10 to 12 weeks before i actually preach the message so i have a final step i have step seven which is my review process uh and and the good thing about preparing sermons so far out is it actually allows it to marinate in my heart Um, a lot of times i hear additional resources or stories that i can add to the message uh, later and so it kind of takes some pressure off of me too if there's a funeral or something that comes up in the week and i can't study a sermon so my review process is very simple. Uh, whatever week that it is that I'm about to preach a particular message, I just go pull my notes. Uh, I read over my manuscript, get it kind of back in my mind, back in my heart. I pull out a few notes for Linda to make slides. Uh, this allows me to make sure everything is clearly said. Because sometimes when you're living in the moment, you think that you're being clear. You give it a couple of weeks, you come back and read it, and you realize there was a few parts that I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't crystal clear on. I need to bring some clarity to this. Um, a lot of times in that review, I start to simplify the things I want to say, uh, and I'll do that in the week. Uh, and then I always read it one more time on Sunday morning, read my notes. Um, and most of the time anymore, uh, this is another step that I, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't, but. More often than not anymore, I actually just take my manuscript and I just retype out an outline because I've, I've read it two or three times at this point, so now it's really in my heart, so I just walk up there with an outline so I have a lot less notes to deal with, uh, and I'm just preaching from that outline. Um, I, never in my preaching career have I read a manuscript. Um, again, the manuscript's just for me to help remember it. So that, my friends, is the seven steps that I take to prepare a message. I determine what God would have me to say. I would read through that passage thoroughly. I refer to commentaries and references. I then take those notes and put them into an outline. I add some fun stuff to that outline. I manuscript the outline, and then I review. Now, the question is, is this a lot of work? Yes. I mean, it is a lot of work. Adequate sermon prep takes time. There might be an easier way to do it. There might be a more simple way to do it. Uh, I haven't found it for me. I'm just not that smart. This is the process I have to take. Um, however, what I have discovered for myself is that I can get into a workflow, and this process is very natural for me now. So I'm not saying that it's necessarily fast, but it's a lot faster today than it was when I first started out preaching. And I think too, going through this process, it it, it forces me to go through some steps that allow me to to show myself approved. You know, I'm studying to show myself approved, just like the scripture commands me to do. So when you're given the platform and you're given the opportunity, you know I want to encourage you: start praying, start studying, give yourself, get yourself out of the way, so that the word of God can come forward. And and here's the deal: someday, in the future, you're going to get the opportunity to deliver a sermon, a Bible study, or something. And so this is a simple way that you can start to approach it, because what happens a lot of times in our sermon prep is we just we just get in our own head about making sure that we deliver a good sermon. That we actually don't even write a good sermon we don't have good solid material and here's what i want you to know it is easier to deliver a sermon when you have solid material so let's just focus on that first uh in the future we'll talk about sermon delivery uh at a later date uh, in the meantime just as you start reading your own bible start practicing this yourself you know it, you might see a note almost every day as i'm reading through my bible i i just write down a note or two um, i might use it in a sermon i might never use it in a sermon but for me it challenges me to read and digest the word for myself, which is going to make it easier for me to do it for other people. God bless you. Hope you have a great day.